Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Hey there, Next Real fans. This is Kyle. I'm hosting this episode of Saturday Matinee, uh, but I'm sort of popping in here before the episode actually starts because uh, we had some late breaking news. We had already recorded the episode when we got wind of some changes that the Academy has made to the Best Picture nominee criteria.
So we thought it would be strange if New Inunvis mentioned it in the episode. So instead, we've we put out our version of the bat signal and assembled sort of an all-star group of our next real commentators so that we could have a little micro discussion about that. And then we'll get into the rest of the episode proper. You will be hearing a full episode of, the, of Saturday Monday. You just get a little bonus content up here at the top. I will see you on the other side. All right, gents. We are here to talk Oscar news. We had a, a big item drop. This is like a big, big item that just dropped uh, right late toward the end of this week. And it's all about the new um, inclusion requirements for the Best Picture race that will be starting in 2024. They have come out with four new uh, sets of standards that people, if they want to be considered for Best Picture, have to follow. So, uh, so. Uh, I'm Andy, and I'm here with uh, Pete and Steve. Hey, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> At least he's on brand. <laughs> Look, I want to say up front, I am incredibly bullish on these new rules. And I've been sitting here for a few minutes talking to Steve, and he has been trying to rain on my parade. And I'm very <laughs> frustrated by that right now. <laughs> you could use some rain on your parade. So, right in other now. words, you're the Barbara Streisand in this, in this picture, I and he's the Omar he, Sharif. Right. Is that how we're looking all right, at this? Omar? <laughs> Let's. Uh, who wants to lay out what the changes actually are, so that I can uh, get rained on? Okay. Let me just walk through this real quick. So we have four new standards, and in order to be considered. A, a film has to have met two of them. They're fairly uh, robust standards, uh, but they each focus on a particular element of production. The first one, standard A, is the on-screen representation, themes, and narratives. Um, to achieve this standard, you have to meet one of the following criteria. Your uh, And it's all about... Uh, kind of the actors and the stories. Um, your uh, number one, the leader significant supporting actors. At least one of the lead or significant supporting actors is from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. Uh, point two, the general ensemble cast at least 30% of all actors in secondary and more minor roles are from at least two of the of the unrepresented groups that they're listing. Uh, and point three, the main storyline or subject matter uh, theme or narrative of the film is centered on an unrepresented group. I can't wait till all of our stories are about women, racial, ethnic group, LGBTQ, people with cognitive disabilities who are deaf or hard of hearing, but all played by white men a la the birdcage. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it, Hollywood. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I So part of the, the thing, I can't remember if you said this, is part of the thing is that uh, these rules only apply to best picture eligibility, right? They they do not apply to any other category yes. right now. And so uh, one of the reasons that nor nor just people making right, movies, right? right? If right. you're not <laughs> running for best for if you're if you have no uh aim for getting best picture nomination, it's like you don't even have to worry that's about right. these. That's things. exactly right. That's that's fine. Yeah. But if you want to play in the best picture category, then you you have to have this acknowledgement that your stories are inclusive and, and diverse. And I am bullish about that. I think that's a good thing. And I think that for teams that are going to be moving forward, production teams moving forward in this category, uh, actually uh, moving in this direction will lift all boats, right? It, it will lift 
more yeah. productions doing more to be more diverse and inclusive. I have my I have to assume goodwill that this is is not just a hardship that this is going to be something that is going to make productions and make movies better. Am I am I alone? Why is that crazy? <laughs> no, it's it's not crazy. It reminds me I mean, oh geez, I forget how long ago it was. I was at the Phoenix Film Festival uh and one of the films there was Aquila and the Bee and the director who's a, uh, you know, white male, you know, people are asking him, like, why this story? And he said, because if you're, if you're, you know, 10 years old and you're a white boy, he's like, everything happens to you. E.T. lands in your backyard. You get to go to Hogwarts, you know, all these things, you know, you're part of the Goonies, all of this stuff. He said, there are so many more interesting stories we can have when we look at other, other categories of, of people okay. and what stories are around them. And to me, this is, is putting that front and center on this of bringing some diversity to the, the types of stories that are being told, the types of conflicts, the types of, you know, character arcs that are going on, uh, to, to tell to show us something we haven't seen before. I'm I I love this this part of it. And that's all. I mean, just just to point out also, that is specifically pointing out telling those yes. other stories, right? That's really that third point that you're looking at here. What I like about the other two is like you can tell a lot of the same stories. You can tell ET, but why not flesh it out with a little more diverse cast? Like, yeah. right? I mean, that's yeah. that's what I love about the idea of having these other um points tied into this is that it allows for a larger uh, array of actors to be represented. Did, any, did anyone oh, notice yes. that yeah. Tenet, a massive blockbuster movie, stars a black man? Like, that fits the lead <laughs> or significant check? Thank yes. you, Mr. Washington. Right. Yep. Uh-huh. Right. Yep. Exactly. Standard A, Tenet meets it so far. Right. Yes. We should go this through the, the list and see. Yeah. Yeah. Tenet. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> So anyway, I, I think I think in terms of what we see on screen, standard A is important. This will change in maybe subtle ways, maybe not. This will change what we see on screen. What is standard B? Standard B, this focuses on the leadership, creative leadership and the project team. To achieve standard B, the film must meet one of the criteria below. And there are, again, three criteria here. The first criteria is the creative leadership and department heads. At least two of the following creative leadership positions and department heads, casting director, cinematographer, composer, costume designer, director, editor, hairstylist, makeup artist, producer, production designer, set decorator, sound, visual effects supervisor, and writer are from one of the under underrepresented groups. And at least one of those positions must belong to the following or to one of the following underrepresented racial or ethnic groups. So it's not just from an underrepresented group, which are women, racial or ethnic group, LGBTQ or cognitive physical disabilities, but you also have to be um, uh, from one of the other underrepresented groups. I don't understand. Am I reading that wrong? What am I reading there? No, so it's talking about the cat. So the the two is the the department heads. So you've got so with within all those categories of however many departments they listed, at least two of the departments must have somebody that are are from one of those groups. But those must belong to one of the other groups. Right. Yes. So you can have an LGBTQ person, but then they yeah. also have to be from one of these underrepresented race uh, or ethnic, ethnicity categories. Well, yes. so is that is that saying, as an example, an LGBTQ cinematographer uh, must also be Asian or Pacific Islander at the same time? <laughs> or, well, that's, that's what it reads, that's what it like, reads right? like. It's a little bit unclear. Yes. 
I think, but but it's odd because you can you also have in the first category racial or ethnic group. Yeah. So right. <laughs> I feel like you're doubling up there. So basically, it's saying you have to be either a woman from a racial yeah. or ethnic group, LGBTQ, or somebody with cognitive or physical disabilities, or who's deaf or hard of hearing. But you also then have to fall into one of the underrepresented racial or ethnic groups. That that's how I read. That's that. what it seems. That's the letter of the law. How about that? Okay. So interesting. Yes. All right. That's the first point. It's a little right. convoluted. And tenant score, neither Christopher Nolan nor his wife fit. <laughs> no. But I would, be, I would be interesting. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure we could go through the department yeah. heads uh, one by right. one to see who, yeah. who might fit. I would be interested to see one, how uh, many, like the, diverse, the d- diversity today. Is this setting a standard, um, you know, too late? Like, is this going to change anything? Or when we look at all those cast, I mean, we talk about movies that these categories are often like not white men anymore on newer movies. So I'm I'm curious, right. like right. if you just roll the dice on on one of these department heads, if if we've already got this one sort of covered. I, I think they may not be white men, but I would still argue that there are also a lot of them that are white women. Yeah. Yes. And it sounds yeah. like that doesn't count. Now. Right. Like well, you have to, you have to be. Yeah. Because you have to be ethnic, women ethnic group. and of this underrepresented issue. Okay. Yeah. Right. Second point, other key roles, at least six other crew team and technical positions, excluding PAs are from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. And then third, the overall crew compensation, at least 30% of the film's crew is from one of the underrepresented groups. So again, you have have to meet one of those criteria to meet standard B. Is this something, Andy, when you're putting together a production shoot, and I know most of what you would do is commercial, but you're putting together, is this something that you would ever know when you're bringing together, you know, union representation and like, it, do you, was this tracked? It, it really wasn't. I mean, really, well, I mean, you're, you know, you're trying to hire either who, who like, you know, because it's like, well, I know that person is a great DP. I'm going to bring them on. And normally they would say, okay, well, I want this person to be my, uh, or this, these group of people to be my, uh, all the rest of my team. Like they kind of pick their own mm-hmm. team. That's often how it works because they have worked together a number of times and have developed a uh, kind of a, a, a way about working together that just helps move things along. And oftentimes it's also who's available, right? You're calling around. It's like, I just need to find a costume designer for this project who right. is yeah. not working right now. And uh, and so I'm I mean, I have never looked at, you know, uh, uh, CVs of people to say, well, okay, but, but is this person of a racial or ethnic group that I need to include? And it's obviously not something people have ever put on those sorts of things because, uh, you know, sadly it's, it, you know, I think it's one of those things that people in the past would have looked at as, uh, if they know that about me, then they aren't going to mm-hmm. hire me. And now I feel like it's going to be an odd shift in the marketplace where if you haven't worked with people and you're putting CVs out, you're better off listing these things because they are then more likely to hire you if they know hey if i hire you i can check this slot off we're profiling but profiling for good yeah (laughs) this this is the one that i think is is the potential for the biggest pushback of we're getting into quotas and and all of that of we've got it we've got to fill this we've got to check this box so is it necessarily the best person for the position no but it fills this quota and we want to get for best picture and i i think that's the the, you know sort of the the downside that people are going to say oh the the qualified people are going to be pushed out of of jobs because the studios are going to have to hire somebody out of these these categories 
for that. But I think, you know, and again, I think this is new. Everybody's digging into it. They're uh, over at Vox. Uh, the critic there, Alyssa Wilkinson, put together an article and somebody asked, you know, she said, well, does this mean a movie like The Irishman wouldn't be eligible for Best Picture? And she says, uh, well, yeah, OK, you've, you've got Scorsese, who's a white man. But as, as Annie pointed out, you do have a lot of white women. Um, and for The Irishman, you had producer Emma Koskoff, casting director Ellen Lewis, and of course, Scorsese's longtime editor Thelma Schoenmacher. Uh, but then pointed out, you've got, you know, cinematographer Rodrigo Preto from Mexico. So basically made the case that that's fulfilling the requirements of category B. So again, I think, you know, so, so it's things like that. So again, I I don't think it's going to filter things down so much. What I think the the purpose is, is making sure we're, we're providing those opportunities. And I think there are a lot of qualified people out there. Uh, So I think, you know, the, the easy argument is the, the old argument of quotas and people losing out. But again, I think we see that there is already a, a good amount of diversity in a lot of these uh, departments already out there. So I don't I don't foresee, you know, huge issues, uh, you know, with this. And I, I really like the idea of, again, getting all, you know, representation and, and people out there uh, in the in these key roles. I mean, to think of the, you know, what is it, B3, 30% of the film's crew is is from the following underrepresented groups. I mean, that's a good chunk of that. But again, I think there's diversity in the workforce out there and making sure that that's, that's what's going on in the industry as well, that we don't have. And that's really the issue, right? Is It's not that... I mean, Laszlo Kovacs had to start somewhere, right? I mean, uh, Matthew Liebatik had to start somewhere. There's a lot of a great crew people who had to get their start somewhere and they have proven themselves to be amazing at what they do. Yes. It's not that you have to settle for somebody who might potentially be uh, not as good as, you know, somebody else that you could put into that slot. It's about now, now there's an opportunity for those people to kind of grow into these into these positions. And so I feel like yes. it may cause some growing pains now, but look at where it could potentially put um, the the kind of the filmmaking crews in 10, 20, 30 years when yeah. a lot more people have had these opportunities that that just hadn't been presented before. I think it it only leads to eventual kind of good thing, even if it does seem um, a little uh, kind of uh, pushy, perhaps. Yeah, quota-ish uh, right now. So what, where did we leave off? What is the What was the next standard? Did we get through them all? Standard C. Uh, standard C is industry access and opportunities. Uh, you To achieve this, you have to meet both of the criteria. The first one is about paid apprenticeship and internship opportunities, uh, providing those for underrepresented groups. And uh, the second is training opportunities and skills development. And this is offering training and work opportunities for below-the-line development to people from the racial or uh, underrepresented groups. Again, I think this one ties in nicely with the last one. It's about making more job opportunities available for these groups. It builds right off of the case we were making of people need to get started by creating these these opportunities, you know, entry entry point opportunities for these groups of saying, okay, get them started, give, give them, give them exposure, get them in the door, all of this. Now the, the counter argument I heard to this is, yeah, you can, you can create internship opportunities and then, okay, you're great. You're this intern. And then they, you know, it's a dead end. You know, we're, we're checking the box by we've got this a person that's an apprentice. We've got this intern, whatever, but we never have any intent of taking them farther with that. And I think it's a, you know, 
Is, is that realistic? Yeah, there are probably some people out there that may operate that way. But again, I think at a certain point, enough people are going to be opening doors for these underrepresented groups that we're going to hit critical mass of there's there's so much diversity. We have all of these these voices, all of these perspectives that are that are getting in the door, that are getting these opportunities uh, to to be part of the industry that it, it's going to just have a long term impact. As you said, it may it may take 10, 15, 20 years. But as we get more of these these voices and perspectives in the industry through opportunities like this, uh, I think it's just going to benefit, you know, everyone in the, in the long term of that that diversity in the workplace. One of the things we know about changing culture is that when you do it, there are going to be people who push back in ways that are uh, unsavory. And I, I think, sure, we're going to have uh, critics able to point out lots of people doing things, taking shortcuts for budgetary reasons, trying to figure out a yes. way to shoehorn someone with a last name that sounds diverse uh-huh. when really they're from, <laughs> you know, Pennsylvania, yeah. like wh- whatever, like <laughs> we're going to see those stories. Yeah. But that's how you change a culture is you have to just yes. l- let let them get it out of their system until yeah. new behavior is normalized. And uh, again, I-, I feel like if we assume goodwill, I think there is a, a lot that can come out of, you know, harvesting great talent from underrepresented groups. And if if that's our goal, then the words on the page shouldn't matter so much. And, and I think that's important. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Last standard audience development uh, to meet this standard. The film must meet just it's just one uh, criteria, and it is about represent, representation in marketing, publicity and distribution. The studio and or film company has multiple in-house senior executives from among the following underrepresented groups on their marketing, publicity, and or distribution teams. Now, this one, my understanding is, came specifically from one of the uh, the people who was on the, the committee putting this together who had put a film together, and it was an all-black film, and it was a, a black story, and they walked into the studio's uh, office to discuss the marketing and publicity for it, and it was a room full of white people, white men. And they just, they said, okay, uh, this is going to be a little <laughs> awkward to figure this out uh, with this group. And so that's where that really came from. Uh, and I thought, I thought it was an interesting one to include as one of the four standards. With the amount of money that is being uh, put into advertising and marketing these big films, but I think this represents like a, an incredibly important part of getting a film into the theater and getting your eyeballs on it. And the, the, the you know, eyeballs that actually create the film should be at least in some way similar in what they see, how they see the world to to actually market the story in a way that's going to get people into the seats. I, I think this is incredibly important. There has been some backlash. No. <laughs> surprise, surprise. What? Really? Where is it, Andy? Is it on the internet? <laughs> of course not, Pete. It's, it's that's that, real it's cognitive discussions. It's yeah. yeah, over right. the fence at his neighbor. Genial town halls held in every neighborhood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, of course it is. Um, and it's, uh, it's from a lot of people who are in the industry. Uh, of course, uh, you know, they get up in arms about things like this and, you know, there are people who have voices and they are out there saying things. Uh, Kirstie Alley, everyone's uh, favorite from Cheers and who's uh, provided a lot of 
a lot of uh, sideline entertainment <laughs> since then. Um, she had this to tweet. I've been in the Motion Picture Academy for 40 years. The Academy celebrates freedom of unbridled artistry expressed through movies. The new rules to qualify for Best Picture are dictatorial. Anti-artist Hollywood, you're swinging so far left, you're bumping into your own... But this is a disgrace to artists everywhere. Can you imagine telling Picasso what had to be in his effing paintings? You people have lost your minds. Control artists, control individual thought. Oscar Orwell. Diversity and inclusion should be taught. Taught so well and so naturally and genuinely that it becomes second nature to our children. It feels like she threw that last one in to kind of like create a little uh, conversational pivot there. Dean Kane said, how about we judge on this criteria? Which film was the best picture? Also, when do we start handing out participation Oscars? And uh, James Woods said, madness. Well, come on. So, uh, what else yeah. is James Woods? Forget James, I asked that. No, yeah. We know yeah. what else James Woods would say. <laughs> well, and uh, the, the Academy put out um, their accomplishments, their inclusion initiative, um, Aperture 2020, and they, they did a little update on some stats on just the Academy membership. And from 2015 to 2020, uh, 45% of new members are women. The percent of active members from underrepresented ethnic and racial communities hit, increased from 10% to 19%. Uh, that's from 554 up to 1,787. Uh, 36% of new members are from underrepresented ethnic and racial communities in the organization. So they're not only putting this uh, yeah, focus on the films, but also looking at their own membership of, because uh, you could say, well, that's great. All these films are out there, but the people making the choices about the nominations and voting, if it's all a bunch of, you know, white men. So they're, they're tackling it from that side as well to make sure that the films are out there and then the community that's, that's going to be voting and nominating all that also is a well-balanced mixture of these, these different groups that are currently underrepresented. So I think tackling it from both sides like that is going to be a transformative, you know, shift in what we start seeing. And I, and I think one of the press releases they mentioned, you know, the fact that, you know, look at what our best picture was this year. It was Parasite. You know, it, it's clearly setting a trend of, there are films out there that are from these other, you know, underrepresented racial and ethnic groups that are quality films. And how do we get more of them in here? And this, this is one of the ways to get that done. I, I think, Steve, that's that is is, you know, a a primary critique. And and as speaking as somebody who's already bullish on making these changes for best picture, I, I think it's a good thing. But I when you look at the 2020 accomplishments list, isn't it fair, at least on some level, to say, look, we're already doing it's already happening. Why do you have to shoehorn these rules in for best picture when you're already making such strides in every single department here? Speaking as just a sort of a straw man, like Aren't we already doing enough? <laughs> Does, isn't it? Doesn't the chart speak for itself? No, it, it doesn't. I mean, it, people it, assume that just because of those changes, that it's going to lead to these greater changes, like overnight. And it just doesn't work that way. It, it's a it's something that's going to take a long time to get there. If if that's how you're doing it, right? And and by kind of creating this forced thing there, and again, it's only if you're wanting to jump into the Oscar race. I mean, and I will say there are a lot of people who also are in support of this. Um, and so so you're getting it from both sides. There are people who are, I mean, I just read some of the negative ones, but I mean, there are plenty of uh, people who are very thrilled by what they're doing. And they're not, they're, and believe it or not, it includes some white people. What? It's nice to see that, <laughs> uh, right? It's nice to see that there are people who are realizing, you know, this is actually a good thing. It's going to allow for 
letting all this this grow and kind of create a better future. And it's it's just inevitably, and especially in a time where we are right now politically, where it has things have become so divided. Um, my concern is, you know, is this going to be something else that continues pushing this divide in in society? And uh, inevitably, it probably will. And there are probably going to be a lot of uh, people just up in arms continually about things like this. But um, but, you know, it's growing pains, I, I guess. That's how I'm seeing it. Well, as I understand it, correct me when I start lying, uh, these rules are not mandated for two more years, right? So we have a kind of a, a three-year rollout, yeah. right? So you get a, uh, they, we're, they're going to be tracking and you'll be filing an affidavit that explains a confidential affidavit that explains and, and defines what your, what your breakdown looks like, but it will not be mandated for inclusion until 2024. So it'll be an interesting couple yeah. of years. Uh, I'm curious to see what kind of films we start getting out of this and, and uh, whether we notice any sort of appreciable change in the fabric of Best Picture. I mean, look at 2018. You had Black Panther. You had Black Klansman. Yeah. You had Bohemian Rhapsody. Roma. Uh, you know, so last year, you know, Parasite was Best Picture. Okay, we'll we'll skip over Green Book. And okay, there's <laughs> it just which because is problematic we didn't, in many just things. because we didn't like it doesn't mean it wouldn't have met the standard. <laughs> no, no, That's no. What about the standards? But was, was it Best Picture? No. But then you know, 2016, you've got Moonlight. Uh, yeah. Other nominees, you've got you know, Fences, Hidden Figures. Uh, Lion, you know, 2014, uh, Birdman wins, wins best picture. Uh, Selma is nominated. Uh, so it's, you know, 2013, 12 Years a Slave, uh, Dallas Buyers Club. So I don't see, you know, that it's, we're going to have like a, a huge shift where all of a sudden, oh my gosh, you know, we're, we're cutting out all of these films. It's already there. I think they're just trying to formalize this a little bit to ensure that there is an intentional process in this. It's not just by merit of like, oh, well, we happen to, you know, it's a backlash against Oscars so white, so we better, you know, make it, make a concerted effort to do this. It's let's make it part of just the processing culture that this is who we are as a, as a, as a, industry. And this is the fact, I know there was lots of debates, uh, you know, last year about Parasite. Like, well, how can a foreign film be the best picture? Well, best picture is best picture is best picture. It's not best American made picture because we can, you can go back and look and see that that's not always the case. Um, it, it's the whole subtitle. Okay. It wasn't an English language film. Is that what it was really about? It wasn't that it was a foreign film. It was the fact that it was a non-English language film because we've had other films, you know, I mean, when you look at, you know, Birdman, you know, the director there is not, you know, an American. Uh, so I think that's... Well, and that I think that speaks to kind of the point of our series right now. The fact that Parasite won Best Picture in the 92nd Academy Awards is the first time that it's happened in the Academy's history. I think that it speaks to this this slow shift that is happening, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I think in the past, as we've talked about on on the actual series that we're doing, uh, where we're looking at all the foreign language films nominated for Best Picture, so often it was uh, foreign films were skipped over because Hollywood seemed to have an idea that the Oscars are for us, and this is, this is what it's all about, and it's not about these other things. And I get it. There are plenty of of award ceremonies out there that are focused on particular things and 
And, you know, I think that there were a lot of people who said the Oscars were a celebration of what Hollywood was putting out. And I think that that has certainly shifted with the times. And I like to think that we're at a place right now where maybe it's about a little more than that. And the name Best Picture might mean something greater than that. Um, so we shall see. I mean, there are people who still say it's actually not even enough because, as you just pointed out, Steve, Green Book, Black Panther, Black Cl- Cam- Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, Roma. There are a lot of films already that are fitting this. It's not, it's, you know, they could do more. Um, yes. But um, I am curious to see how things like The Favorite, A Star is Born, Vice, um, you know, start finding ways to meet the other criteria. Well, this is, it, it's a fascinating turn. Uh, even if, you know, we thought we didn't actually need a way to make Best Picture more political. It turns out maybe we did, I guess. Uh, so this will be great. It's going to be great, you guys. I'm very excited about it. Um, and it's you have to admit, it's commendable PR on behalf of the Academy yes. uh, to codify rules that were Truly. already trends. <laughs> it's amazing. <Right. laughs> well done. Uh, so we'll see how they play out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Years after hashtag Oscar yeah. so white, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, we got to let the uh, let the team get back to the show. So uh, thank yep. you, yes. uh, Kyle and Tommy and Ray, for letting us uh, jump in and have essentially a bonus whole bonus show right in the middle <laughs> of the beginning. <laughs> thank you, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. It's showtime, folks. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Saturday Matinee. Good morning, everybody. Hello. Uh, I'm, I am Kyle Olson. I will be hosting this this fine show this morning. Uh, they put me in the big chair. God knows why. Uh, I'm usually found on the Marvel Movie Minute with uh, Rob. Uh, they got him to do last week, and so they got me to do this week. But they would not send me in here alone. God, no. We have the infamous and notorious Ray. I'm watching you, Kyle. <laughs> and the most handsome man in podcasting, Tommy. That was a terrifying Ray. <laughs> <laughs> and I like horror movies, and I didn't care for it. <laughs> oh, okay. So before we get into like news and stuff, too, there is a, there is a question I've been waiting to ask since I've been listening to Saturday Matinee. Mm. Uh, Ray, you actually went out to a movie theater and saw a movie. That's right. I did. I have to hear this story. What is movie going like in a covid world so i wanted to go back to the movies really badly but at the time the only thing that was playing was the new mutants right so i went to the movie theater and i scoped it out and i'm in the parking lot and it looks like you know a deserted wasteland so i'm like it might be (laughs) safe to go in so i go in and i'm the only patron in the theater wow Wow. did you skip was everyone inside like ah or <laughs> did they not remember of like did he try to hand you popcorn or like a, bu- a bucket full of tickets like if they forgot how to do their job welcome welcome yeah. i forgot how to say this welcome <laughs> to the it, it was kind of funny because the kid that sold me my ticket like really did have a hard time selling me my ticket like he didn't know the process <laughs> oh yeah i assume it's just because he was new but because he was really young, but uh, and then the week after that, I saw Tenet. Oh. Wow! Wait, how was you the New Mutants? Or have you already talked that. about this? New Mutant, no. uh, New Mutants. Yeah, yeah. I thought was it, the first two thirds were okay. Like it seemed pretty unique. Standard X Men or standard horror? Would you say? I wouldn't Good say question. either. To be perfectly honest, it really did kind of do its own thing. But then, Homecom? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, there are some elements of it. Oh. <laughs> but then it all falls apart in the third act. 
Yep. As many X-Men films do. Um, and then I saw Tenet last weekend, and again, only patron in the theater. Wow. wow. But that was terrific. Oh, good. Okay. So y- you feel safe about it? You feel okay? Yeah. I mean, I, again, I'm watching to see if any more people start coming, because if if I was in a situation where there was a decent amount of people, that would definitely be a factor I would consider before buying a ticket. I like the idea of you sitting in the parking lot casing a movie theater like a bank. <laughs> Like like you're a one man Ocean's Eleven. You're Ocean's One. Like I don't know if we could pull this off. Well, I do wear leather gloves and I have these tiny binoculars and I look around. Perfect. <laughs> I drove by our local theater and like it, the parking lot was pretty full, like on a Saturday afternoon. So people are seeming to be going back. So maybe oh. the power of Tenant will be what will turn this whole thing around. Well, it's yeah. worth going to see that movie, in my opinion. Yeah. So so like non spoiler review is. I'll put it this way. I was a little scared at first because everyone was saying it was really hard to follow. But in all honesty, I found that if you have no problems with Inception, you'll have no problems mm. with this. You oh, know? Okay. Okay. It's it's very different. Very different. I really and how is can't oh, I just really can't compare it to anything. How is Robert Pattinson as an action hero? He's actually really good. Uh, okay. My favorite person in the movie though was probably kenneth branog branog oh really i don't know how you pronounce it it's funny i was actually (laughs) just listening to the uh saturday or the uh, film board episode about um murder on the the orient express Uh, and how tommy and jj kept like fighting on the proper way to pronounce (laughs) brana yeah yeah We'll never know. <laughs> I've heard I've heard Kenneth say it like three different ways. There you go. And, yeah, but John John David Washington is really great too. Like he really does mm. a good job of leading the movie. I really recommend it. I thought it was does great. It, does it give you more hope for Batman? Yes, as a matter of fact, yeah. it does because okay. on I've not seen him in much. Uh, I think the yeah, last thing I either. saw him in was the lighthouse, which I really enjoyed, mm. but this, I didn't even recognize him in it. You could watch this and totally forget that it's him. Ever since the Rover, he has become a remarkably interesting actor. Mm. Like I hope more people are t- separating him from twilight. Uh, yeah. Just because, I mean, he's really, in- I really loved him in good time. Good time. The one by the Uncut Gems guys, the film they made first. It stars Robert Pattinson, and he and his brother uh, are on the run, and it's really strong. Sounds like we need to have a an RPAT film festival. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, let's. But as, as we're talking about new things, let's get into the news. Mm. Uh, okay, first uh, thing that uh, popped up I saw was that they're making a Jack Reacher television series, and they cast someone who's slightly taller than Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> right, because Jack Reacher is famously very yes. tall. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. In the in the books, he's supposed to be six six five. I think. I mean, he's like I thought one of the funniest things in that Jack Reacher movie was when apparently they hadn't updated the script all the way because there's a scene where people are talking about like, oh, Jack Reacher, like like how we know him. Oh, you'll know him when you see him. <laughs> It's like, because really? he's because Tom like, Cruise. He's, yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> he's a very, very famous actor. Yeah, you can't miss him. A notoriously yeah. short actor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but this time they've actually cast somebody who's a, a, a significant 
a physical presence. That's Alan Richson. He's from Titans. That's what I've seen him in, at least. Mm. Uh, he's been in other stuff, too, but that's most recent. And he is he is a slab of meat. Like he, <laughs> <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> He's a handsome man, but, like, man, he is also a wall. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Calm down, Kyle. We treat I'm, these people say, like, as saying, people. That's uh, true. All right. I'm I'm sorry, Alan. <laughs> but you know, if ever if ever you wanted to scale the wall, like he's the guy. Um, <laughs> but I'm I'm very excited about this. Like I think I think this is a, a much. I think having it as a television series is much better than a film franchise because trying to squeeze a whole novel into two hours can be a, oh, a stressful experience. Of course. I'm so, I forgot how media works. I was like, well, I'm worried. <laughs> I was thinking they would squeeze an entire novel into one episode. Oh, of course no, that's not how it works. So. No, yeah, they would do that. that yeah, yeah, there would be a season. It's going to be one, one I think, novel. I, believe. I think it's really fun. And I actually really liked the first Jack Reacher movie with Tom so Cruise. I. Yeah. I thought it was really my, the second one was directed by a former boss of mine, Edward oh, Zwick. Edward okay. Zwick. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Or was like, didn't he do Legends of the Fall? Uh, he did. He's done a, yeah, okay. a number of things. Yeah, Glory, yeah. the Siege, mm, yeah. the Siege, which we're currently living under. Oh yes, the Siege. That yeah. Uh, no, I would definitely watch that TV show. Where's it coming on? Does uh, it's going to be on Amazon Prime? I have uh, that. All right. Hey, all right. <laughs> Don't even that. do another subscription. Yeah, written yep. by Nick Santora, who did uh, Prison Break. So that should be oh great. Got, okay, right. So that all looks a good credential. So I'm assuming uh, so, that this storyline is completely separate from the movies. Yes, okay. this is uh, told, this is a alternate universe. I think. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't think that I don't think the two reachers will cross. They won't have like a maverick thing where like he's handing off the mantle or anything. I mean, I think it's <laughs> there's one episode a, that's sixty million dollars. <laughs> that's <laughs> 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 the Beverly Hills Cop thing all over again. Right. Um, uh, so uh, the next story that uh, popped up I thought was interesting is that they're making a RoboCop prequel. What? But it doesn't have RoboCop in it because they're making a series about. Dick Jones. Dick Jones. Dick Jones, the older guy that like, yeah. ran, I'm very disappointed. Yes. After the guy gets shot up in the boardroom. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and one of the executives, they just like picked a thing there. Like the guy that develops Ed 209. Yeah. Who, who, yeah, it's the, who it's asked the, for this? <laughs> That's what I was saying. Like, I look at that and I go, really? Like, let's what? take the most interesting thing about that franchise and just make Weird. it about... A corporate guy, I guess. Yeah. Do you when you were watching RoboCop, where you were like, oh, less <laughs> like, robots, oh, more board meetings. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. That's exactly right. Because that's what it's going to be. Because really, see, I, have, I, have a, I have a quote from the guy, uh, and he says, "There's the idea about business and law enforcement in the city of Detroit. A minute and a half in the future, it would be a way to do all sorts of stories about business and tech, Silicon Valley, corporations, snakes in suits, cops, all that. It's a wonderfully rich tapestry." Well, yeah. I mean, I would love to wander around in that world again because the world that Verhoeven made is so interesting, yeah. but there's just no reason for it to be RoboCop. Make no. it a, make it something else. Any kind yeah. of mechanized uh, law enforcement would be fine, I right. guess, because brand uh, recognition or whatever it's yeah, called. Yeah, it's, 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 I think yeah. it, it's, it feels to me like a little bit like Caprica. Like they had, you know, Battlestar Galactica was so popular, they just found this other series that had nothing to do with it about robots and they're like, oh, what right. if it was a prequel? And they just like slap the names on and, sure. and send it out the door. Yeah, I guess you get, you're hoping for brand recognition at that point. Right. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. Yeah. Well, yeah. I would maybe check that out because that world is 
fantastic. Any it, kind it of future world in the eighties, yeah, like like uh, what Running Man, totally. Mm-hmm. Like they're always just sort of interesting because we didn't quite know how to do the future yet. Right. So everything <laughs> everything is sort of normal, and then they're like. Hey, pass the zilf. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, there's just this tiny, like, don't slip on the Morgbot juice. And you're like, what? But everyone still is like driving a Toyota Corolla or whatever. Our first pandemic themed movie, uh, Doug Lyman is supposed to helm a, a, called Lockdown. It is a pandemic themed heist flick starring possibly Anne Hathaway. He has to do his Tom Cruise in space movie first. Yes. Yeah, oh, he's directing that? Oh, I didn't know that. He's no, doing... Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Oh, because... Oh, well, they worked so well on Live, Die, Repeat. That's right. Yeah, that, that's was, great. that was a good movie. Yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah. I was interested in this story because a lot of uh, executives and uh, directors that I've read articles about are saying the one thing people aren't going to want is pandemic movies. Yes. And like Jason <laughs> Blum, Blum, Bloom, who knows? Bloomhouse, yeah, yeah. Is it yeah. Bloomhouse? I Jay- think it's Bloomhouse. Yeah. Jason Bloom has already come out and said, "Hey, all of you horror writers that are writing a cheap Bloomhouse movie set in the pandemic, I don't want it." Yeah, like he's like, "Everyone, stop!" Because people are going to want to get back to normal. Is his bet? Yeah. Uh, because it seems like it would be so easy. Actually, I watched a remarkably good horror movie set during the pandemic called Host. On, it's oh, on yeah, it's on yeah. shutter shutter right yeah. now i got a free trial just to watch that and immediately canceled it because <laughs> shutter uh but so there yeah, is there the- is room for that but i thought this was interesting that they're making like a big a big bet on it and if it's going to be a heist movie maybe that's yeah. interesting yeah i say when you put heist movie in i'm, I'm already on board right <laughs> that's also like, with yes, me with like sold. some submarine thrillers and court Ooh, yes. and courtroom dramas it can be like oh, interesting. It, like it can be called fart court, and I'll be like, I'm in. <laughs> it, it doesn't have to be good. I I love courtroom dramas so much. How so. could we combine all of those things <laughs> to one? Epic, like start with the heist, they get arrested, they have a court trial, and That's then right. it turns into a horror movie at the end. I yeah, mean, there's three acts right there, all during and the pandemic. Th- right, all during the pandemic. Yes. That's when I will be found dead having starved to death in a theater because I forgot to I forgot to leave or eat. It'd be three hours long. All right, Hollywood, we're we're here. Yeah. Give us a call. We're ready to sell it. Um Okay, so uh, I, when I was on Sabbath really talking about the Snyder Cut when I got allowed, I made a prediction, and that prediction is coming true. Uh-oh. Uh, the floodgates have opened, and all the other directors are coming up to Warner Brothers saying, hey, so director's cuts, huh? And so the latest oh, one is of course. Mick G. Mick G has been like, hey, you want a harder cut of Terminator Salvation? Because I got it for you. I am so confused by this one <laughs> because... I already own a Terminator Salvation director's cut on Blu-ray. Yeah. So, so what I, in the I, world I is the this? Set. Right. But have you Another seen the director's thing? cut of the director's cut? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I, which one was Terminator Salvation? Was that Terminator the one? Terminator Salvation was the Christian Bale Terminator. Oh, I liked that one. No. Yes, I liked that one. Wait, which was the uh, one? Sam Worthington. Oh, uh, no. It, it was, was the, the first one without Arnold. Or That's right. Well, well I mean, of technically, yeah. they used his likeness toward the yeah. end, but yeah. he's not in it, in it. Yeah, he's not a character in That's it. Right. What, was, what was my horrible joke about that movie? Oh, when at the very end, when Christian Bale has to tell the kid that he saved, he's like, one last thing. 
I need you to go back in time and bang my mom. <laughs> like, like, like it started to get so weird with all of the different timelines that that's what yeah. he was. He was like, for all this to happen, I need you to bone mom. Was that the one where it was a huge twist that Worthington was a robot? Right. And yes. then that came like halfway through the movie, but they put it in the trailer. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. it's maddening. It's like, it's maddening. Like, oh, advertising. Why? Yeah. And, Why? And then the maddening. Terminator movie after that, they completely ruined the big twist in the trailer. Did they? Yeah, because in Terminator Genesis, it was this huge twist that John Connor is actually a Terminator now. <gasps> but they gave it away in the in the damn what? trailer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that one. Okay. Yeah. Well, and supposedly the, one of the things in this new version of Terminator Salvation is supposed to be an original ending that does that. Like the, the idea was somehow the Sam Worthington Terminator character would become John Connor. Like he would take John Connor's skin and so he would like live on as John Connor. Like oh, John Connor would die weird. and he would somehow like take his form or something like that. And so it would be a Terminator who was actually thought himself of a human pretending to be John Connor. And that was what their big ending was. Going Can to be. somebody <laughs> please just take this franchise out to pasture already? No, it is so painful now. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, something <laughs> should be left away. There is no fate, but no more Terminator movies, please. Um, <laughs> Uh, and speaking of uh, the franchises that won't die, uh, Ridley Scott's going to make another Alien movie. Oh, let someone else you, make it, please. Is blackmailing <laughs> Ridley Scott? Like, is do they have something on him? Like, what? I, 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 every movie that comes out feels like, all right, I guess I have to do another Alien. Like, he doesn't care about aliens at all. He's interested in robots, right? And, so, <laughs> but not and, and mortality. Yes. Like, just make that movie. Yeah. yeah well, I, now he's got the HBO series. Like, do you think he could get his robot fix on that? But, yeah, I don't know why they keep doing the alien. Because, like, is anybody clamoring for more alien movies? I am, but just not for him. Because oh, I okay. love the alien universe so much. Sure. Uh, but... What Wetland Utani? What is it? The company? Yeah, Wetland Utani. Wetland yeah. Utani. Yeah, no, I love all of that. But the last two movies were just so rough. Prometheus yeah. and Covenant. I mean, yeah. I just let anybody else do it. You know? Oh, so you think you think, you think Ridley is the is the the problem? <laughs> he's he's got to be. <laughs> I mean, his, the I mean, so much of Prometheus was so dumb that wouldn't get past anyone that wasn't like crazily powerful that no one's yeah. saying no to. It was uh, it was interesting, like when they were sort of handing it off from from person to person. Like you went from Ridley, who did the straight up horror movie, right? You went to James Cameron, who did the masterpiece. Action. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Aliens. Nothing wrong with that. Um, then you went to David Fincher, and like you can people have their opinions about Alien Three, but it yep. was a well shot, well put together movie. Correct. Um, and then you went to Four, where I can't even remember the French director's name. Right. Uh, the guy uh, behind. The, the one, uh, yeah, the one the. Uh, the City of Lost Children. Right. City of um, Lost Children, right. That uh, that Joss Whedon wrote. Um, right. And Alien Resurrection, which, again... But it was interesting. But it was unique. Yes. It was unique. Uh, and then, yeah, then when, when Daddy showed up to, like, take back the franchise, it was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he's doing one for me, one for them. I guess But he so. forgot about one for me. <laughs> he's just making one for them over and over again. <laughs> You know, I think I'm the only person in the next real family that actually doesn't mind Prometheus. Although I, oh, really? I will say really? though, Wowie. I think it would have been better if it wasn't an alien movie. Correct. Oh, correct. Very I much agree. so. But the, there was no need for that part. But yeah. most of it 
plays as if it's not. There are very few elements of it that tie into the alien storyline. I like a lot of the story in Prometheus. It's just the the character motivations. There's so mm-hmm. much. There's so many dumb manipulations just yes. to lead to things. The two guys that are like. One of them is in charge of mapping, and he gets lost. And like, he gets lost you in like ten minutes. And like the, yeah. I mean, there's just too much nonsense. But there's there's a really there's a lot of really smart and profound ideas in Prometheus. I do agree. It's just like you they got the hard parts right, and the easy parts were really kind of a mess for me. Well, that's all I got for news. Unless you guys have anything else that you think we need to talk about, nope. I'm all newsed out. All right, then let's move on to trailers. Hey! And Ray, you were the first one in there. Uh-oh. Tell us about this <laughs> lovely young lady named Rebecca. Mrs. De Winter, may I present Mrs. Danvers? Welcome to Mandalay. Never seen a house like this. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you'd been a lady's maid. This is all very new to me. Oh, I'm sure you won't disappoint him, madam, if that's your concern. We did a lot of entertaining when the late Mrs. De Winter was alive. You can talk to me about her. I have no secrets from you. All marriages have their secrets. So have either of you guys seen the uh, Hitchcock movie? Rebecca came out in 1939 or 40. Embarrassingly, no. It was actually his first um, movie that he made in America, and it was the only movie he ever made that won the Best Picture Oscar. But oh. um, and it was based off the novel by Daphne Du Maurier, uh, same title, Rebecca. And this movie is not a remake of Hitchcock's film, but it's rather a new adaptation of the novel. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of glide through the synopsis here. After a whirlwind romance in Monte Carlo with handsome widower, widower, <laughs> Maxim de Winter, a newly married young woman played by my future wife, Lily James, arrives. Oh, congratulations. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you should be happy together. Arrives at Manderley. Her new husband's imposing family estate, which is on a windswept English coast. Naive and inexperienced, she begins to settle into the trappings of her new life, but finds herself battling the shadow of Maxim's first wife, the elegant and urbane Rebecca, whose haunting Mm. legacy is kept alive by Manderley's sinister housekeeper, Mrs. Danvers, played by the inimitable Kristen Scott Thomas. Mm. Oh, that face, man. Kristen yes. Scott Thomas. And I I don't know, uh, you guys said you haven't seen it, but I highly recommend the Hitchcock movie. It is mm. really great. I have the Criterion Blu-ray. Uh, I love it. It's a terrific movie. I really would like to read the novel. And seeing the trailer here, yeah, uh, I love the direction that they seem to be going in. It is... Yeah. Um, who directed this son of a gun? Uh, ben Wheatley. Ben Wheatley. I I really like the tone uh, of this mm-hmm. trailer. It's it, yeah. It's the trailer is outstanding. Right? Like like uh, even just for I I know nothing. Like I didn't. I if I'd seen the movie, it was probably during my my college 
the, you know, my college movie courses. Sure. Um, so I had totally forgotten that at this point. So I, everything was all new to me. But even just so not knowing where it was going, like it starts out, and you can just tell the difference in the cinematography from when they meet on the beach to mm. when they're at the house. Like all of a sudden, yes. everything gets cold and yeah. sharp. I mean, yeah. Super like gothic. A, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I absolutely love it. And I love, again, I haven't read the novel. I've only seen the Hitchcock movie, but I, uh, there were certain scenes in the trailer that I could kind of pinpoint where in the story they fall. And they just seem so much more fleshed out uh, than some of the stuff in Hitchcock's movie that uh, I'm really excited to see uh, what they do with this adaptation. It is rated PG-13. Um, and if you're one of those people that likes to know why it is for <laughs> some sexual content, partial nudity, Ooh, uh, thematic elements and smoking. Oh, <laughs> maybe all at the same time. <laughs> so dangerous. They'll that never... was a great pick. This was not on that my, was a really good one. this was mm. not on my list whatsoever or on my mm -hmm. brain, whatever list. Yes. So I'm excited about it. And it's a, net, great. it's a Netflix release and it comes out on October 21st. Excellent. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little, I have not seen a Ben Wheatley movie. Uh, so I'd be interested to see, but he did direct my least favorite episode of the new Doctor Who series. So, <laughs> eh. but as a screenplay by Jane Goldman, which I'm excited about too, as as a, as a writer, she wrote both the Kingsman movies and she wrote X Men First Class. So Ooh. she's 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 got her credentials. She's legit. Um, all right. So my thriller came up and it just came out recently, and I've watched it probably five or six times uh, <laughs> in the last day, uh, and that's Dune. There's something happening to me. There's something awakening in my mind. I can't control it. What did you see? There's a crusade coming. Do you often dream things that happen just as you dreamed them? Yes. The test is simple. Remove your hand from the box, and you die. What's in the box? Pain. This, like, basically, this hits me like porn, man. Like, it's everything I wanted and more. And when I was a kid, the, the Dune came out, and it was a joke. It was a flop. Like, yes, everybody made right. fun of it. The toys came out, and it was, and, and they sat on the shelves. I mean, it was known. It was, it was, I don't even know if there's any kind of flop of the day. I was going to say Ishtar, but even that's, like, 30 years old at this point. Yeah. Uh, a gigantic flop. Um, but then later on, during college, one of my friends was telling me how great Dune was and everything, and they sat me down, and they and they sherpa'd me. They basically like sat down and said, here's what's going on. And so they like, whenever I was like, what, what is the giant guy in the tank? Who's the, like they right. would pause and say, oh, that's actually, and they would like break it down for me. And having that experience, it has become one of my favorite stories. I'd say the movie has its issues. The original movie has its issues. Uh, but this new version seems to have addressed all of it because I watched it like that's everything I saw in my head. Like it's like, it's, it's so, it looks <laughs> yeah. so, so great. And I'm hoping that this will hit people like Game of Thrones did. Well, they're like, just embrace the fact that the politics and the machinations and the beautiful people, like it will all come together and people will embrace this and just get on with the weird because there's some weird stuff in there. So had you guys, you guys had any experience with Dune in the past? I watched uh, the one when I was younger. All I remember is Eecha! And of, co <laughs> yeah, and of course, right. and of course, Sting and yes. the um, Sandworms, 
which yeah. I thought was I thought it was pretty canny to save the sandworms in this trailer for the, the very, very end. end. And they're yeah. like, they make tremors look like something <laughs> smaller. I couldn't come up with a good. <laughs> A good wordplay there. Um, But uh, no, it seems like nine movies, but not necessarily (laughs) in a bad way. I mean, I kept, I, part of me was like, is this a series? Like it looks massive, but I will see anything by this director, Dennis Villeneuve. Yeah, Yeah. I will see anything by him. (laughs) Villeneuve. Well, they put out, I didn't know how to pronounce the name, they put out a a special, Stephen Colbert is a huge fan of Dune, and so he did a QA and a with the cast after the trailer came out, and so that's why, when he introduced him, he was like, and now the director, Denis Villeneuve, and I was like, oh, that's nice, it's not Dennis Villeneuve? (laughs) No, I'm excited, this is not my genre, but I'm really excited, I love Timothy Chalamet, and I love the director, and and I love Oscar Phoenix. No, Oscar I love Oscar Isaac. Phoenix, but oh, okay. uh, but you're right. Oscar <laughs> Isaac is in this movie. He's pretty good yes. too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man can wear a beard. Oof. Man, can- <laughs> right? He he has such a good beard. I'm surprised he's not on this podcast because <laughs> this podcast well, is a beard off, and I'm losing all the time. <laughs> well, we tried, but yeah, you know, hey, you're he's off busy. to a good start right now, though. Oh, yeah. I haven't shaved right. in three days. I look like a bear man i just caught myself <laughs> scratching my back on a tree okay <laughs> so my trailer is uh sybil je crois que j'ai besoin de vous m'aider je suis enceinte de deux mois je peux pas le garder j'ai tellement peur je peux pas lui dire elle est arrivée dans un état un peu critique je peux pleurer si tu veux j'ai peur que tout ce que j'ai construit ça s'écroule bonjour je m'appelle sybille j'ai commencé un nouveau roman Ah non, je me sens dans une très très bonne énergie. J'ai surtout envie d'écrire. En fait, je suis obsédée par ça. Uh, this is a what seems to be. Oh no, it's a French film directed Definitely. by Ju- Justine Triette. You can, it's a very French. Film. You can tell it's like <laughs> two seconds into the trailer, even without them speaking. I'm like French film. Yeah. Um, but it is about a, uh, oh, it's Sybil spelled S-I-B-Y-L. And it seems to be, the best that you could tell from the trailer, is it is about a uh, psychotherapist that starts to sour on her job and she wants to go back into writing. And she starts to involve herself with one of her patients and writing the patient's story as if it is a fictional situation and she gets invited on set. It looks like, and it all just starts like melting together with reality. I'm a huge fan of unreliable narrators. I love things like um, notes on a scandal where people are twisting themselves into someone else's reality in order to make it their own. Uh, And I just thought it was really kind of beautiful and the kind of movie it's, it's a movie like for adults, yeah. Uh, and they, we don't have a lot of those sometimes. Rebecca True. is definitely one of those. But yeah. the fact that there's no like scandal, there's no any. I mean, it's just kind of uh, it seems like a, a beautiful kind of movie. So I'm interested. I didn't have it on my uh, list, but now it is. What did you think, right? Whenever I saw the title, I thought that maybe this was, you know, kind of a reimagining of Sybil Shepherd's sitcom. <laughs> Wait, it's not? <laughs> oh, everything I said well, is... Well, yeah. wait, hold on. Actually. Yeah. No, I mean, um, this thing looks crazy. Like The moonlighting story. It's one of those movies, like, uh, this is going to sound completely dumb and ridiculous, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like, uh, 
one of those movies where people's lives just go incredibly out of control and it's a train wreck, but you can't help but watch. And it just looks incredibly entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It looks like it'll be a little bit of walls closing in, which I have a love hate with and Uh, yeah. yeah. And everyone in it is beautiful. Yeah. I couldn't find any type of release for it. Like it said, it came out last year at Cannes. Right. Right. I couldn't find anything else. Did you find like where we can uh, discover it? I checked it out and it says, we'll never know. No, I didn't. Uh, I okay. forgot to do that. Okay. <laughs> I I constantly. No, I, I looked and I didn't see. So it's out there somewhere. So keep your eye out. Keep your eye out for Sybil. Uh, we're going to do a little game. Uh, this is a, a brand new game that I came up with. I'm calling it pitch session uh so mm. this is not a, a a random thing i actually uh let these guys know what i wanted to do in advance because i wanted to have their full uh, educated opinion as opposed to just coming up with something on the fly so the idea is netflix has come to us individually uh, and said you are allowed to make a series based on any horror movie ever made yes like at least a full season you can do it Watchman style, or you can try and let it run for as long as possible. So I took a, I took a, I, I took a solid, you know, just single on this one because I think the the one that came to me first was Cabin in the Woods. Ooh. So Cabin oh. in the Woods is such a great format for this because you can tell so many different stories uh, within that. So like over the course of the season, what I was thinking is uh. you have basically like a you're following two different paths. So like you're following the path of the people, like a new person who's coming to work for whatever the organization, I can't, what's it, the organization? Do they even have a name? I don't remember um, them having a name. They probably did, I but I don't so. remember it. Yeah. Yeah. So they come to join the organization. So they're, they're learning. So the audience is learning along with this person as they're, as they're in inside. And then you're also following the teenagers as you're meeting them one by one, as they're putting them together. So you're following sort of the two tracks back and forth. And then when they get to the middle of the season, that's when they, they combine in the cabin in the woods and then they pick the the form of their destructor uh, and it goes on from there and then of course it'll end with them all them dying and the next season you can have a whole new group of of attractive young people in the next season so yes cabin in the woods is my pick nice. that's really smart and wouldn't that be fun and ironically like the prequel for robocop i would like to know <laughs> as much as i can about the bradley whitford side of yeah. that world yeah exactly like, uh, like and, and uh, you can you can do fun stuff with the other organization too because we know that there's one in japan we know there's one right? in, like you know you could have that rivalry of like or even like People coming over from the other one, seeing how it ran like a exchange program like, crossover. Oh, that's how you, that's how you do it. right? Yep, spinoffs. <laughs> I know the first one ended pretty drastically. That you couldn't do a sequel to it, but I right. think there's a way you could roll it back and you could really tell a lot of different stories in that world. So. I love that idea. That's a great choice. Would you like to go next, Tom? Sure. Mine isn't as good. Um, <laughs> is that a fun? Is that a fun teaser? Ooh, I'm excited now. Uh, mine is based on a Stephen King book, which is okay, and a movie which is bad, mm. but redone as a series could be very interesting. It could have legs. Okay. Needful things. Oh, Needful things is the story. Excellent. It's a Castle Rock. I think it was billed as the last Castle Rock story, which turned out yes. not to be true. But um, 
Leland Gestalt. I should have all of this information. <laughs> Pretty much the devil shows up and opens a curiosity shop in a town. And it is filled with junk, but junk that is weirdly the thing that you want most in the world. For instance, like a Sandy Koufax baseball mm. cord or a kind of carnival glass that you remember from your boop, boop, boop. And the idea is <laughs> that people in this town will do anything to get it. The price is very low, but you have to do a little favor for the guy. And what it ends up doing is it turns townspeople against each other and the town ends up eating itself alive in this crazy sort of almost final destination kind of way. Um, and I think with a series, you could really get to know, it'd be kind of Twin Peaksy. You could really get to know the people in the town. There would be someone like in Needful Things that would be in on it, uh, that would be trying to fight against him. And then if it has legs, kind of like your idea, Kyle, yeah. he could always move to a new town. That's and right. start again. It could be an anthology, like a new town, new thing. You get to know everyone involved and watch them all sort of dance to the devil's tune. So that is my that idea. Is a, Needful things. That is a great idea. Yeah, I think Needful Things it almost lends itself exactly to that. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Nice. <laughs> Bring it home, right? All right. I'm coming home. To the place where I belong. <laughs> this is how someone acts if they forgot that they had homework to do. <laughs> no, oh, no, no, I totally you know? read that book and they like just yeah, sort of re repeat what's on the back cover. <laughs> no, I'm, it's a pulse pounding, page turning thriller. Of <laughs> <laughs> I found this to be a joyous romp, like something that a kid would never say. <laughs> I'd say it's the best book of the summer. <laughs> says the San Francisco Tribune. <laughs> okay, so I've actually had this idea for a couple of months, and I got really excited whenever Kyle uh, came up with this idea. So bear with me, because it's kind of crazy, and then it takes a left oh. turn out of nowhere. Take us on a trip, right? So now I can see I can see storyboards reflected in your glasses. <laughs> right? Really, you've really worked on this. <laughs> so have you guys ever seen the movie Halloween Three: Season of the Witch? Oh yeah. yes, yes. That's yeah. the, that's the one with the masks, correct? Right, yeah, right. With, with no Michael Myers and no Michael Myers, right? Correct. So, for those of you at home who might not have seen it, Halloween Three: Season of the Witch is about Halloween masks, specifically a set of masks manufactured by a company called Silver Shamrock, and they're all. Ugh. The theme. I forgot. And the, th the theme from the commercial just came back to my head because of the name. Okay, and go ahead. I'm sorry. The masks are all the rage that year. Every kid wants one. There's even this recurring commercial, eight more days till Halloween, Halloween. <laughs> yep. And it's really annoying. And the commercial promises that there's going to be this big giveaway on Halloween night to all the kids that own a silver shamrock mask. But when a deranged man turns up holding one of these masks saying, they're going to kill us all. Dr. Dan Chalice thinks there's something foul about this mask company. So he goes to Santa Maria, California where he discovers Silver Shamrock and its founder, Connell Cochran, are the force keeping this town alive, they're governing it, etc. And soon, our hero finds out that Connell Cochran is using these masks to murder all the children who wear them. Murder. And incidentally, Connell Cochran is played by Dan O'Herlihy, who's in RoboCop. He plays oh. the uh, president above Dick Jones. I'm very disappointed in you. Oh, that's the disappointed guy. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I gave it to the wrong person oh, last time. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay, so now here's where it takes a left turn. In the movie, it says that Connell Cochran got his start by making, you know, like cheap toys and gags and practical jokes. And uh, he made a name for himself and he became one of the most respected men in the toy making business. 
What a lot of people don't know is that that movie was actually um, really inspired a lot in ways by Don Siegel's 1956 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And the name of the town in that movie is the same Santa Mira, California. So I had this idea, what if they're the same town? Hmm. And what happened is after invasion of the body snatchers, after all the pod people have come and the government comes and rescues everybody, da, 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 um, what if the town never recovered from this? And what if it became known as the town that spawned the pod people? No one wants to do business with these people anymore or anything. The town's economy crumbles. But then one man steps up and builds his toy-making empire to help sustain the town. And one day he uses that toy-making empire to kill everyone for not aiding his town and his people in their time of need. Wow. <laughs> Revenge. So my series would basically follow Connell Cochran as a guy that got left in the dust at the end of Invasion of the Body Snatchers and follows him as he builds up his empire and kills people and does things and I love it. I mean if it's oh, around yeah. if it's around a supervillain. Yeah. Right. And it sounds like, like there's gonna be boardrooms. Right. <laughs> so you know I'm in. That sounds great. <laughs> can you add in a legal battle at some point? I'm sure oh. we can. <laughs> Is the I'm city sure actually a submarine? Boom. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, that's great. I love all of that, yeah. and I love that connection. That's really interesting. Yeah, that, that's that's uh, that was. I say you you have definitely done your research. That is definitely a passion project. Well done. I like it. Thank you. I am subscribing to all of these services. Woo. <laughs> I'll I'll, but, I'll subscribe for a week just to watch Tommy's, and then I'm getting rid of it. <laughs> then, <it's canceled. laughs> then you're gonna pull a shutter. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, then let's. We've done my game. So now let's move on to the Satmat game. And we're going to talk about awkward meals. It's a nice ham this year, Mom. Oh, yeah. Grammy always does such a good job. Great sauce. It is. It's dynamite ham. So, Ray, you had the first trailer, which means you get to have the first of the. Can you remind people what this is? Uh, the Satmat so game we, in general. Game, so, so we were given the category of awkward meals, and so we are each of us went away and, and picked three films that had uh, something that had, had to do with awkward meals. We can pick our own themes and ideas, uh, and then we're going around to see if we. And if anyone has a duplicate, then the other person steals. Uh, they're good. And the winner gets bragging rights? I guess. I don't know. And this is based on uh, whatever movie Pete and Andy were watching in The Father Show, yes. right? Got it. Right. Okay. Which I cannot remember what the name it of the movie was. It was uh, so Life I is Beautiful, Roberto there Benigni. There it is. Life is Beautiful. That's yeah. right. I do not like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's no The Day the Clown Cried, but you know. No. <laughs> All right, Ray, hit us. All right, Ray, hit us. Okay, so for my first awkward meal, okay, picture this in your mind's eye. So you're at a diner, and you're pulling out of the parking lot, and you don't notice a kid on his bicycle coming up behind Ooh. you, and you back into him. <laughs> Love it. And so <laughs> you feel bad. You bent this kid's tire. You take him home in your car. You meet his family, who are 
awkwardly overly welcoming whenever you arrive and they invite you to stay for dinner and guess what's for dinner all of this kid's favorite foods like ice cream and candy <laughs> apples and hamburgers with peanut butter on them i am talking about twilight zone the movie so smart love it nice. specifically joe dante's segment uh, the name of the segment escapes me now i knew it all day long but you know whatever and well, the original short story was called it's a good life so there's a good chance it. that maybe yeah. that's what the episode was called that's it and so basically it turns out that this kid has these powers where he can make anything he imagines comes come true so he imagines this life for himself where he gets to eat whatever he wants and his family all love him to death and um well they're all actually terrified Right. <laughs> yeah. He makes cartoons come to life. And then whenever someone ticks him off, he makes the cartoons kill them. That's an outstanding pick. That's yeah, one of that's my good one. favorite short stories of all time. It's called It's a Good Life by Jerome Bixby. And it's really just about what if God was a child? Yeah. Okay. He, what yeah. if you if you gave a child godlike powers he will what is constantly said in the short story is he will wish you into the cornfield that's right it is never explained what that means but it ain't good yeah, yeah. he didn't well, wish well, you mummy was the original kid in the yes. in the original Twilight Zone episode I believe right he was. that's right he went yes. on to do Lost in Space and yeah Babylon Five great choice I love it I'm yeah, actually slightly angry I didn't come up with that on my own good work <laughs> <laughs> yeah Stephen King did a riff on that too in uh, what was it the Regulators. I don't know. Uh, yes, a, correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're, they're a kid in the same situation. So, all right. So, I'm next because of Dune. What you got? Uh, so, uh, dinner with your parents is always awkward, uh, but dinner with your parents when they're leaders of a country uh, is much more. And so, so my pick is from 1988. Coming to America. Ooh. If you remember the scene, it's like they're at the opposite <laughs> end of the table, and then finally uh, the the young prince decides to just stand up and walk over to talk to his parents, as opposed to using the intercom, which you guess they have <laughs> so tall. And it, when it ends with a great thing too, as he finally comes sits down, and his father looks at him and goes, "You've grown a mustache." <laughs> <laughs> so, Joffy, I have so to watch that movie here. again. Yeah, it's like I watched I just watched that scene again just to make sure it was as good as I remember, and I was like, I remember how much. Yeah, and you need to because the sequel's coming next year. That's right. Coming to America with a number two. I don't that. <laughs> Adorable. <Yeah>. We're bad <laughs> at titles. Uh, my first one, because I didn't want to get stolen, is a movie that I don't think a lot of people have seen, but I, if you are a fan of Philip Seymour Hoffman, it's one of my favorite movies he's ever done. It's called Owning Mahoney, where he plays a gambling addict. Uh, and it is... A beautiful movie. It's really funny and sad. And if you like that kind of feeling of, is it going to land on black or is it going to land on red 22 or whatever it is, <laughs> this is your movie. And during it at one point, after he loses a significant amount of money, they've been treating him like as a whale, uh, the casino had, and they he kept ordering uh, ribs with no sauce. That's what he always wanted. <laughs> By the time the ribs finally come, he has lost all of his money. And so he eats it with the person that brings it to him in the stairwell. He has gone from <laughs> the height of riches to 
nothing, and he's eating this sauceless rib, oh, talking to this guy, um, and it is a little awkward. They end up becoming sort of a team of sorts, uh, which I won't spoil. But yeah, so it's a it's a rough. You've just seen someone. I mean, he is devastated, and he's eating sauceless ribs. There's something about the fact that the ribs are sauce that makes it so much sadder. It's like giving a tuna fish sandwich without the bread. Like, what are you doing? Uh, but anyways, it's called Owning Mahoney. I highly, highly, highly recommend it to anyone. Nice pick. Thank you. All right. Ray, what you got? All right. So for my next movie, imagine this. Oh. <laughs> you are a real estate salesman. And your boss says, hey, there's this guy that's going to buy that big mansion across the street, but he lives across the ocean. You got to go to where he lives and make him sign the papers. <gasps> oh, <laughs> This is, an, this, this is an this is an old dinner. Yeah, okay, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. So, what well, is it though? So, <laughs> you go across the ocean and you go to this guy's house and he is uncomfortably pale. And <laughs> you know, you're eating dinner and you're cutting the bread and when you cut the bread, you accidentally slice your finger and start bleeding and I then all of a sudden this guy jumps up from his chair and just starts sucking your thumb, <laughs> sucking all the blood from the cut wound. I am speaking of specifically 1979's Nosferatu, Ooh. the vampire from Pete Wright. I mean, Werner Herzog. <laughs> Werner Herzog. That's great. Man, I, was, I was wondering which adaptation you were going for. Yeah, like, we knew it, go, it was Dracula, go but it wasn't. Is yeah. It whale? Yeah. yeah. It changes in different adaptations. Like sometimes yeah. it's a paper cut, sometimes it's a knife. So I went with this one because it happened at dinner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is awkward. Although I'm guilty of it myself. So. <laughs> oh, Tommy. Yeah. Classic <laughs> Mets. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Classic, uh, classic handsome. No one on this podcast <laughs> no, knows right. what my last name is. <laughs> that's right. Classic handsome. That's a good uh, So uh, my next one, actually, it, I, you'd think this would be a theme, but it actually isn't. It just happens that I just found two incredibly long tables. So first dates are awkward, but super awkward when you go to the rich guy's house and he puts you in a room and you're at the far end and you're trying to have a conversation and you can't do it. <laughs> yep. But especially when it turns out that that guy is secretly Batman. Right. Yep. So from 1989, <laughs> Batman, and another ends with a great line uh, where the Vicky Vale is asking Bruce Wayne about, uh, like, oh, so you've eaten here a lot. He says, you know, I don't think I've ever been in this room before. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Doesn't he start by saying, yeah, you didn't hear, I love this yeah, room. This is like always nodding. Yeah, wait, yeah. Like, wait, I've never been in this room. <laughs> Michael Keaton yeah. is the master of the slow burn. He's <laughs> right. shaking his head yes and looking around, and then slowly just takes a beat and goes, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't is on she, my like, backup sort of start- list sarcastically just like can you pass the salt yeah and he like yeah, brings so it all the way down the way, and then walks yeah. all the way back yeah that's great <laughs> especially in, in a batman movie it's this nice light comedy moment yeah know? it's a weird dinner set piece for this yeah. little yeah that's interesting and then they yeah. wind up in the kitchen at the end yes and then it gets intimate yeah like when they're oh, actually like right. next to each other and oh that makes me want to watch that movie again I'm looking over where can, it is. It's right there. You can watch Batman straight up murder dudes. <laughs> <laughs> like an American. Yeah. yeah. Well, just like, I always think that's really funny. It's like you go back to watch Batman and like there's a scene where he drives the Batmobile into a, a building full of people and drops a bomb and kills them all. And it's like, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were we were down with that yeah, at right. one point. We just, they were spiking yeah. cosmetics. They deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> 
mine is my second one is one of my favorite movies. It doesn't hold up as well as I wish it did, but it's actually Doug Lyman's second movie after the aforementioned Doug Lyman's uh, mm-hmm. second movie after Swingers. It was Go. Oh, which came, which came out as the rave, uh, which was like a teenage rave movie when rave was done. Yeah. <laughs> it was it tried to capture lightning in a bottle, and the bottle was broken, and the lightning was yeah. gone. But either way, it is a very Tarantino esque twisting mm-hmm. uh, of multiple stories, all involving and going back and forth in time, and one of them involves um, actors. I mean, they play actors in the movie. Scott Wolf mm-hmm. and Jay Moore go over to a cop who has sort of been shaking them down by William Fickner and his wife, Jane Krakowski. They have what oh, seems yes. to be a very psychosexual relationship. They think they're being invited into the bedroom. Instead, it turns out that William and Jane are inviting them to sell a version of Amway called <laughs> cons- Consolidated Products. And so the entire dinner just becomes revelation after revelation, and each one is just weirder and more awkward and then they finally have to just sort of peace out by the end of it so that's just just one that i've always enjoyed so that's go yeah i agree it, it is a lot of fun tons of amazing performances in that and yeah. it does not it has not aged terribly well uh, but a lot of but the yeah, style but, has still yes it's still a yes. really well very confidently directed movie yeah, and uh, John, no, it's what John August's one of his first screenplays too <gasps> really? that makes sense yeah. oh that's yeah. cool okay nice I did it. All right. Back over to you, Ray. All right. So for my final pick, this was one of my absolute favorite movies when I was in high school. So for a lot of people, (laughs) it's really awkward whenever you're at dinner and someone burps or someone does like hiccups too much or maybe backwash. I don't know. But people get a little finicky with some of the more gross aspects of eating. Sure. Well, in this movie takes place in a, this segment of the movie takes place in a restaurant where a very large man comes in and starts <laughs> and is start, he stuffed yeah. and yeah. he is, he is absolutely stuffed and yeah. he orders everything on the menu and starts vomiting all over the mater d and the cleaning lady and the staff <laughs> have had enough and the mater d after his tremendously huge meal gives him a wafer thin mint (laughs) and this throws him over the edge and the man known as mr creosote literally explodes his entrails getting (laughs) blasted all across the restaurant this coming from the movie monty python's the meaning of life yes excellent choice the one part that i that never stops making me laugh is when he is throwing up in the bucket and then the maid is trying to pick up the bucket and he throws up on the maid's back. <laughs> is there something about that that's such a heightening of something? Because I don't care for like fart humor, th- toilet mm-hmm. humor, but that is just, they immediately break reality and then they just keep knowing when to heighten it, heighten it. That's a great choice. And yeah, we're such film really nerds. You said a really uh-huh. large man goes to a restaurant uh-huh. and Kyle and, and both I both went, like we both, we both like yelled away for thin mint yeah. at the same time. <laughs> Mr. Creosote. Yeah. I actually right, had, uh, I'm sorry. My last one. Uh, oh, sorry. Did you have something else? I was just going to say when I was in high school, I actually had a Mr. Creosote squeeze doll. Whenever you squeezed oh, him, wow. green goo came out of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, merchandising. 
Go ahead, Kyle. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, my last one. Uh, as actually, I'm surprised it did not get stolen. Um, so it's hard enough when you're uh, having dinner with strangers. Um, if <laughs> you, it you guys really you paint st- these mind pictures. Oh yeah, I love yeah, exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. It's you know it can be super awkward when it turns out uh, all the people around you, if they knew who you really were, would kill you. It gets you more awkward. And then the worst thing is, is when the guy who killed your family shows up. Then things get really, really tense. And, of course, I'm talking about 2009's Inglorious Bastards. Oh! The dinner wow. scene is probably my favorite scene in that whole movie. How did I not uh, think of that? Dynamite. I, Dynamite. I, I, almost, I almost put that first because I thought, oh, somebody's going to take this. Uh, but, yeah, like Quentin Tarantino at his best, I think. And also I put a lot of the uh, success of that scene on the late, great Sally Menke. Yes. Who really, oh, sure. really edited that thing to like within an inch of its life. I mean, like I, I use that as an example of you want to show how to have a dinner scene that is like the most tense scene in history. And it's just people sitting around eating cake. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Masterstroke. Oh, I love that choice. All right, bring us home, then. Uh, last one. It's not fun or funny, but I love it. Uh, in in a pretty good movie, there is this one set piece, and it is from a playwright that I love. I actually saw the play way before the movie was made, uh, but it's August Osage County. Mm, and uh-huh. this is, has one of my favorite tropes in the world just because it's so cringy and interesting. A really big family dinner where all for some reason, because that's what dinner tables do to us, everything comes to light. And this this is Julie. This is Meryl Streep, Julie Roberts, Benedict Cumberface. This is like it's a, an amazing cast. This huge table. He films. I don't remember the director. I'm sorry. I'm bad at research. But he's films the heck out of it, and it ends up. I mean, it just gets worse and worse and worse, and it ends up with Julia Roberts tackling. Meryl Streep taking pain pills out of her hand, screaming, I'm in charge now. And I own the DVD and I've watched just the dinner scene probably (laughs) 30,000 times because I've always my dream is to direct something like that at some point because it's so hard to film that kind of a scene. And I think this is just the best way to do it. And it is it is both awkward and incredibly moving and powerful. And it is the turning point of the entire play and the entire movie. So I love it. August Osage County. Not funny, not interesting. No, it's interesting. <laughs> I'm, a ba- I'm a bad hype man for myself. Yeah. <laughs> August no, Osage I, County. I, I looked it up while you were, you were talking. Uh, it's John Wells is the director. Of right, it. right, 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 right. Yeah, I'm an enormous fan. So, hooray! Right, so those were those were our awkward dinners. Uh, do you guys have any alternates that uh, did not get picked? Oh yeah, I had. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, of <laughs> course. Uh, Last to, night, To Kill a Mockingbird. Whenever uh, the poor kid comes home with them and asks for syrup on his dinner. Oh, um, yep. Shrek. Whenever he's trying to eat, and everybody shows up at the swamp. <laughs> all the fairy tale creatures, and then. Um, Attack of the Clones, <laughs> whenever uh, Anakin and Padme are on Naboo, oh, and yeah. they have that really <laughs> that, awkward... That is pretty awkward. The floating fruit. Yeah, yeah, and then he's like, you know, like, I can't breathe. I love you so much. <laughs> so it's not supposed to be awkward. <laughs> well, you know. That's one yeah. that's, that's interesting. It's awkward for you. 
Right. When, he, when the director was like, perfect, I nailed the most romantic dinner ever. <laughs> uh, two I had, I, I know that had been definitely picked in the past. Um, both had uh, monkey brains. Uh, one was Clue. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And the other one was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Right. Uh, and then my, my last alternate pick was Hannibal. Mm. That was my alternate. <laughs> yeah? yeah. Is it? Like, dinner's so already dentist. awkward, but then that one dinner when you're fed your own brain? Own brain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ray Liotta with corn pone yeah. word, I can't say. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a, that was great. Yeah. All right, so let's see. Next week, they are doing Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh, I haven't seen that uh, movie in 900 years. Yeah, Watching Mulan made me want to go, oh, I need to go back and watch that again. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so they had a, there's a bunch of different uh, things that popped up in there. Uh, one of the good ones I thought was Mythical Weapons. Oh. Because they have the... So I think that could be a good one because I can think of three or four things just off the top of my head that would fit that category. I have one to suggest because I'm sure. known for not ever wanting to use these suggested ones, <laughs> and I've gotten legitimately in trouble for it, but I'm oh, going to yes. keep on. I'm, I'm trying to be good. I'm using the list. Something about um, uh, really, like, really choreographed fighting or choreographed mm. violence. Like in this okay. movie, it's literally like a, a dance, but that can be said for parts of John Wick and stuff. So something like that. True. What's the best way to say that? Because Cor- mm. choreographed violence doesn't sound like like choreographed really fight scenes. Hy- yeah, hyper choreographed fight scenes. Okay, because that could be I, fun. I, I like that because you could bring yeah. up something like Old Boy, where it's like all one take or something like mm. that. Yeah, yeah, Ong Ba. Yep, yep, yep. Even some of the Marvel ones you can put in there too. That's right. I'm giving them way too much help. If that's the one that gets I, th- <laughs> I think that'd be <laughs> a fun down. thing to talk Settle about down. too, because there's so many good <laughs> options. Yeah, there's actually, they actually they, I'd say, I, I know you don't like the list, but that list is actually pretty good. One of the things they have on here is getting poisoned. I thought that's a good one. Ooh, I like that one. Yeah. As long as we at least come up with one of our own, I'm fine with okay. using their garbage list <laughs> for everything else. <laughs> uh, the other one that I, I particularly like is because it's a, it's a favorite thing of mine is female action stars. Ooh. Oh, oh! So now we have a we have yeah, to see, that, we have four, say. So four so for Ray, three. You haven't weighed in here yet. What do you think? Uh, I say I love the idea of doing female action stars. I don't remember yeah. that being on Sat Matt list or anything like that um, within recent memory. Anyway, um, I also like so Tommy's the- idea. Okay, nice. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, okay, so those two, uh, and then we want to do um, getting poisoned or mythical weapons. I like the weapons myself. Yeah. Okay, mythical weapons. Okay, so we'll do mythical weapons, female action stars, and choreographed violence. Is that it? Uh, hi- hi- well choreographed or hyper choreographed well violence. Yeah. Hyper hyper choreographed. Hyper choreographed violence. Like yeah, where the okay, editing like isn't it. doing all the work. Right. That's sort of what I'm getting at. <laughs> I like it. All right. So uh, if you want to vote uh, in that list challenge, uh, you can. Uh, it's very simple. You can head over to the Show Talk channel in our Next Real Discord community, and you can lend your vote to the chaos that is list picking and movie sabotage each week. Mm. How do you get access to the Show Talk channel, you ask? Well, it's very simple. You go to patreon.com slash the next reel and become a supporter of the next real family of podcasts. For just a mere $5 a month, you'll become a concessionaire supporter and get access to the show's live streams as we record, like this one. 
Early access to shows in your very own personal podcast feed and access to the super secret member channels in the next real Discord. Real quick, Kyle, I think maybe yeah. something's wrong with your uh, audio because you said it sounded like you said five dollars a month. It can't be that affordable. Oh, it is. What? It is just just five dollars a month, and you can get in on all the behind the scenes action. It's a bargain. Whoa! But if you're still feeling generous, we've got merch. <clears throat> you go to nextreel.com slash merch. You can see our T Public store. You know what's really cool these days? Masks. Mm. You can get a Marvel Movie Minute mask today. You can put my face on your face. Why wouldn't you want to? And for every purchase of the next real mask, T Public will donate one medical grade face mask to frontline healthcare workers through direct relief nice come on love it get a thing and help a thing i mean that's amazing <laughs> so thanks for supporting us and many thanks to supporting our doctors and nurses so that brings us to the end of Satman today thank you guys for helping me get through my first time in the big chair you did great i thought that you were born in that chair <laughs> uh, this was my first time officially podcasting with Kyle. Kyle, it has been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, do. I hope that our, our paths cross again, Tommy. This has been a lot of fun. Absolutely. And Ray, uh, you know, better luck next week. <laughs> Just Ray, Ray, it is always it is always a pleasure. <laughs> yes. A lot Ray, of my fun. brother from another mother. A lot of fun with you guys. Thanks so much. Yeah, so thank you all for listening. Uh, and make sure to subscribe to all the other stuff. Uh, check us out on Marvel Mini Minute. We're on hiatus right now, but we'll be coming back uh, in, a, in a month or so with Iron Man two so uh like support subscribe do all the things enough said i love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows steve and jj on trailer rewind ray and ocean on silver linings even tommy's short-lived no no wait hear me out and so many films they've discussed started out as a book a play or even a tv series well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January, or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Mm-hmm.